This week on The Futurists, Carl Bogan. You know, it's funny you say that, Robert. Uh, do you believe you're talking to, to me right now or someone else? <laughs> See, this is the element of doubt. I don't even know how to answer the question right now. So I think I'm talking to Carl Bogan, but maybe I'm not. Well, technically, this is not deepfake audio. This is my voice, but this is absolutely not my face. Welcome back to The Futurists. I'm your host, Brett King, and joining me in the hosting chair is Rob Tursek. Hey, Rob. Hi. Good morning. How's, how's your week so far? Everything's uncertain. You know, we've got an election coming up, which means a lot of stuff's going to be hanging mm. in the air for the next six months or 10 months as, as that gives result. And it's not just the U.S. There's elections in the U.K. and elsewhere. Uh, so a lot of stuff is pending. And, you know, yeah. with that, there comes this other thing, which is uh, interference in elections is a big issue. People are really yeah. nervous about the idea that, gosh, can we really trust our elections anymore? And certainly plenty of politicians have made uh, made the case that you can't trust elections. Sometimes that's self-serving. Um, but there is this other issue, which is that technology is starting to change the way we understand politics and the way we talk yeah. about politics and so on. A lot of transparency, like forced on on the system. And, and you know, you can see what's happening right now is an effort to sort of destabilize that a little bit and yeah. call into question, you know, um, manufacture moments. just basic you, statistics. You know, you can, you can manufacture political moments now. And, but it uh, even happened before the it, it's happened. You know, it happened with COVID. Right. In terms yeah. of the manipulation of data around that. Yeah, sure. It happened. I mean, it happened with Brexit. It happened yeah. with Trump's election yeah. campaign. It's been going on for quite a while. We're kind of getting used to it. It's like the new normal. Yeah. But it yeah. does have a destabilizing effect. The yeah. problem is everybody gets jaded and they start, they stop uh, trusting. They stop knowing what to believe. So, so a couple of weeks ago, I had dinner with some friends and the topic of security uh, came up. And the question was, who can you trust and what can you trust? And on that, in that conversation, one of the people at the dinner that um, the reason companies want people to go back to the office is that working from home creates so many vulnerabilities. It's such mm. it's such an attack surface for anyone that wants to get in and mess with the company or steal information and so on. And one of the people at dinner said, you know, you can't really believe the people that you're talking to on Zoom are really the people they say they are. They could be anybody else. They could be somebody from Well, we've seen country. we've seen that we've seen Zoom um, fraud in China where you've got people pretending to be a relative stuck in jail and pleading for the you relative to send money. You got you know, it. and you it's know, fake. Yeah. Next year you're going to get a, a you're going to be on a Zoom call with someone you think is your boss and he's going to say, "Listen, I need you to give me those login and access codes right now. This is urgent." And it's going to be your boss. So of course you're going to give it to that person. It might turn out that that isn't actually your boss. So the person uh, who explained this to me the best is Carl Bogan. And Carl's our guest this week. Carl, hi. Welcome to the Futurist. It's it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. I'm glad glad to be here. Glad to talk about this. I'm excited to talk to you because the topic of deep fakes has been going on for some time. I mean, really since 2016, 2015, it kind of broke out in the mainstream consciousness, but they were pretty bad. And I think people looked at them and were like, well, come on, this is a hacked out thing. It's obviously fake. But they've improved a lot, haven't they, recently? Oh, they exponentially get better every three to six months. Wow. Mm. And... um yeah. And this is something that you're working on. Like right now, you're you're uh, you're a kind of expert in defakes. You know, expert's a funny word, but I would say among a room of people who know nothing, I'm an absolutely an expert. Uh, but at the same <laughs> at, at at the same time, um, 
I've dedicated um, my primary focus for the last five to six years on deepfake. Well, that pretty probably much makes you one of the top experts on this uh, on this topic, Carl. You don't have to be as modest, you know. We, <laughs> most of our humble. guests are not as modest as you, so um, I'll say I'll say that. But um, you know, the, what are the commercial applications? Like, obviously, we we're talking about the fraud risks and so forth. But where are the big commercial applications in this right now in terms of the use of deepfakes? Is it replacing uh, like traditional CGI and things like that for? You know, de-aging and things like that? Sure. So that's the first area that we looked at. I was leading a, a, a startup effort over at Eliza.ai. And the first thing we looked at was stunt work and sort of allowing directors more control and flexibility while they're shooting instead of having to see the back of, you know, Tom Cruise's head when he's jumping off of a building. Now, granted, in the case of Tom Cruise, he's probably doing his own stunts. Yeah, um, but most people are not because of insurance right. reasons or whatever. And so the DP and the director are handicapped in terms of not being able to shoot the shots they want, so they have to compromise unless they're going to spend a lot of money on digital doubles. So this reduces that cost by 70 to 80%, being able to shoot your wow. with your stunt performer but replacing their face with the actor in real time. Now, I've seen yeah. examples of that on film production where um, the body double or the body actor will wear a motion capture outfit and they might even be in on a green screen background. Uh, and so literally everything can be replaced. And then they only need the actors, the principal actors, to come in and do the face gestures and the dialogue, which can be captured really quickly. And then they kind of match that face onto the body actor's uh, motion. But all that body is generated. All the, all the actual animation is generated. So, so in a way, you could say superhero movies are basically big deep fakes. They're just super long, very intricate deep fakes. Don't forget, very expensive deep fakes. And they are rendered, so they take a long time to create. But the kinds of deep fakes right. we're concerned about uh, in the news uh, are are real time. Like they're they're things you could literally do on a Zoom mm. call. You know, it's funny you say that, Robert. Uh, do you believe you're talking to, to me right now or someone else? <laughs> See, this is the element of doubt. I don't even know how to answer the question right now. So I think I'm talking to Carl Bogan, but maybe I'm not. Well, technically, this is not deepfake audio. This is my voice, but this is absolutely not my face. Ah, there you go. It looks like my face. It tracks. We're running at 30 frames a second at HD quality, but... You know, this is not my, my face. Should I shall I turn uh, turn it off? Sure. Sure. Okay. Do a little magic trick. And that. This oh, is my, wow. oh my gosh. That's great. So for the folks who are listening to the podcast, what we just saw is uh Carl has been spoofing us the entire time. Uh, so to see the video, <laughs> the face that he arrived with is very different from his That's real insane, face. dude. And he just switched off the deep fake, um, but it was tracking with his face as he turned his head, as he looked up and down. Uh, I was actually impressed because I was looking for eye to see your eye lines because usually that's a way you can detect a deep fake. But your eye expressions, like when you open your eyes, you raise your eyebrows mm -hmm. and the direction of your eyes, that was actually pretty good. It was tracking really well. So that's a big improvement. Um, and so for folks who are listening, unfortunately, you can't see this, but a lot of folks that are listening to the podcast. We're, we're going to put this out on social. Uh, sure. That was a pretty good bit. Yeah. So, Because uh, I've not met you, Kyle, so I didn't know it wasn't your face. Precisely, <laughs> but, uh, Brett. That's yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You can start to <laughs> develop a relationship with someone who doesn't exist over Zoom. This is a, a scary thought. Um, yes. 
now you could also bend your voice, right? So you've you've done this in the past where you were able to synthesize a voice and do that in real time as well. Absolutely. So you can synthesize a face as well as a voice. You can, in the time in which you record this podcast, I'd have enough data on you, Robert, and it's already annotated that I'd be able to clone your voice, I don't know, a couple hours. So then I can just, oh my gosh. You. I, can re- I can record your face and your voice in the, co- in the courses of Zoom call. And then tomorrow, go host my own set of podcasts. You know, if you want, that might actually spare me some time. So I'm going <laughs> to talk about that. I mean, you know, the, 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 open AI the lip sync the is really, and, yeah. the lip sync is really good as well. So your, mm-hmm. your lip sync is noticeably better than the lip sync in most, uh, most deep fakes. You can easily spot that the face gestures, the mouth gestures aren't exactly syncing with the voice. That's correct. Um, and I would imagine with synthetic voice, that's even harder, right? Like now you're, now you're adding another layer of complexity to that. But if you, you're That's made correct. to synchronize those things. Well, the thing about um, de- detecting things that are wrong, I mean, ever since we're born, we open our eyes and we're just data collection machines more than anything. We're just collecting, like, collecting data. So it's really easy to feel, not necessarily know, but feel when something's not quite right. And that we call mm-hmm. that the uncanny valley. Yeah. Right. Um, but most people disregard those innate feelings for, you know, politeness or uh, they don't want to look silly or right. is that are you a deep fake they want to insult anyone so they just <laughs> True, be right really past them. prove yeah. you're real Robert, b- 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 wipe your hand across your face or something you know exactly exactly <laughs> verify your reality but you know we're gonna have to start doing that so so clearly what you just showed us is so simple. yeah but i mean it like obviously the tech is getting so good that i i can i could rub my hand in front of my face and still have a deep fake uh yeah, especially right. if you've got multiple tracking units and stuff like that, I'm sure. So th- that's the thing is like, how do we, you know, how do we know what's real anymore? And 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 this is a really interesting question to ask with this sort of digital sphere of influence. You know, whether it's AI or um, you know deep fakes and so forth, is can we actually have an objective truth anymore? You know. Um. I mean, that's the big that, philosophical question. I'm sorry to take it into this. No, just, no, it's it's about as macro as you can. I'm, ready. <laughs> I'm not asking you to solve that in the next five minutes, Kyle, but of course, of you know, course. thank you. Yeah. But I don't know. There's some pretty big issues with this, you know? Well, I think the flip side is true, though, Brett. Right now, just to flip around with your point, you can't trust any video that you see, right? Um, I mean, I would say any motion picture today, even if it's a historical drama, is going to be digitally enhanced in some way. So every frame of motion pictures is touched by some digital, uh, some some digital, you know, uh, process. They're, they're going to enhance it in some fashion. Um, I'm guessing that's going on in television because if it's real time, you can start doing that with with the news. I don't think it's going to be long before we start to see synthetic people on the news. There's already a thing that launched a couple of weeks ago. Channel One is a synthetic news channel, so all the news yeah. is generated, yeah, the so voices, that. the act, the the newscasters, and so forth. It's a little boring, honestly. I looked at, if you yeah. look past the sizzle reel and watch it, it's actually kind of bland. It's it's like music for news, <laughs> but you know, it's going to get better. Like your point, Brett, is uh, all this stuff improves, and now I guess it's improving so fast uh, that our ability to detect it is is not improving, um, and so we're, it's going to surpass our skills. Hey, Carl, what's your take on that? I mean, do you see this as a massive opportunity? And and where do you see the opportunities? You know, it's a really big question because, uh, you know, any good technology is equal parts amazing and scary. And so on the positive side, there's tons of opportunities in terms of uh, 
monetizing your celebrity status. If you don't want to get out of bed, if you want to um, be in three places at one time, if you want to uh, bring back people who have passed to give speeches or just to re-give speeches, not even to make anything new, just so you can feel like you were there, um, you know, for the Gettysburg Address. You feel like you're there mm. for the I Have a Dream speech in VR. I mean, there's so many ways you can extract goodness from, from it, that, which is why I start on this quest to sort of be on the pro side because there's tons of cons. I mean, the list of cons is much is much longer to be honest, but <laughs> the pro side is so positive that I would hate to leave it on the table. Okay. Well, I yeah, I think you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure that we can stop it anyway. I, I don't know how really, unless we can sort of have some sort of digital signature stuff and you know, authenticated content, things like that. But you know, um, like you know, have a watermark. You know, is the concept that's been being talked about, but you know, I, I, I mean, un, unless you've got like incredible encryption technology with that as well, the the fact that someone could simulate watermarks in <laughs> yeah. videos is is obviously the next thing coming, right? So um, it's sure. sort of like you're chasing your tail a bit on this this technology. That's why I, I'm sort of asking the philosophical questions about this stuff, you know. And I don't think uh, the the commercial incentives for developing these sort of technologies are so high that we're not, you know, we're not putting pumping the brakes on this stuff where we could either, you know. And that That's appears to be the the pace, we're, right? We're not slowing down. If anything, we are speeding up. Uh, of course, you know, legislation is always behind technology, um, yeah. and so I would imagine that something. Uh, not catastrophic, but something really bad has to happen before we really mm. put our hands around its throat and say, well, you know, yeah, you I, I get that. You know, it's illegal. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you bring up legislation. One of the things that comes up on the show a lot is is how might we regulate technology, and there isn't really a great answer. And as you can see, is you know, just with the topic of artificial intelligence in almost every country, they're trying to figure out what the right approach is without stifling innovation and losing jobs. So that's the balance. But I would say also in the United States, we're not very good at drafting legislation that, to regulate any industry. Every time we do it in the last 20 or 30 years, it ends up, the industries get more consolidated, more dominated, prices go up, consumer satisfaction goes down. So, so regulation has sort of a weird perverse outcome. I'm not quite sure if we can regulate our way out of this because imagine um, what you're really saying is the ability to manipulate video should be governed. Well. There are a lot of constituencies in the motion picture industry that are going to fight hard for that. They're going to want to preserve it or carve out something. But then there's this other issue, which is um, if one jurisdiction outlaws something or regulates it heavily, the business just moves to another jurisdiction. The companies yeah, move to right. someplace else, right? So you can produce that's, that's deep right. takes anywhere. You know, the last thing that crossed my mind as we were talking about this is... Um, you know those junk phone calls you get, the spam phone calls that people hate? Everybody hates those AI phone calls. Yeah, We've been having them for calls. seven or eight years, and now it basically makes your phone unusable. Well, that could be stopped. That actually could be stopped at the carrier. They, the phone companies actually have the ability to do that. And yet there's no meaningful regulation. So you know, voters in every country hate this, and they would love to stop it. But the legislation doesn't pass any laws because guess who is a big user of robocalling? To do push politicians, the politicians. Yeah. So they don't want to deprive themselves oh, yeah. of a tool sure. or a weapon. They don't want it to deprive themselves of something they need in their campaign yeah, to get reelected. 
This is going to be the same thing with deepfakes. You know it. As much as it's awful to be on the receiving end of one of them, and it is, it's impossible to erase that image from someone's mind. On the flip side, it's going to be incredibly useful for a politician that wants to do some opposition stuff against their opponent. So they're not going to want to outlaw it. I know this is is the problem. It's just like you can see where this is going. It's like a train wreck in slow motion, right? You know? Mm Yeah, but, that's uh, absolutely. So, like, you can then assume we're going to get a lot of defects. We got an election year coming up in the United States. Oh yeah, election year coming up in uh, in the UK as well. And so, in both countries, you're going to see a flood. Of, and actually, you know, the United States, the NSA, and the FBI have already issued a warning. Um, in the UK, there's been a warning from their uh, their security group. Um, the uh, U.S. Justice Secretary issued a warning. Um, Brett was just sharing with me a deep fake. Uh, this is quite interesting. You know, Vladimir Putin in Russia often will, every year will do this kind of annual thing where he takes questions from citizens. And mm-hmm. this year, pe- one person zoomed in, uh, they did it over video and it was a deep fake, uh, interviewing, like asking a question of the Russian president. Yeah, eight days ago. And Brett and I were both thinking like, that person's not going to be alive for long. He'll be falling out of a window <laughs> in the near future. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, you also it, see this it, in it, India. Putin in was India, not they, impressed. He, yeah, he was, was not at all impressed. You can see this sort of shadow goes across his face. Yeah. He's like, well, he gets that intense look of like, yeah. track that person down. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, also this is a big issue in, in India and in some other countries. Any, any big democracy is going to find that their deep fakes are going to be be prevalent, right? They're going to be, they're so easy and so fast to make. You know, Carl, today, how is it, easy is it for a non-expert, like a, a citizen or a consumer to go out and make a deep fake? Uh, you know, it's actually, there's a, there's a barrier, but if you have the right, um, Sherpa more or less, uh, you can make one, I, in about two days, I normally or regularly, um, do conferences, um, where I will teach a room of people who have never made a deep fake before, much less have used windows to make deep fakes in about yeah. two days. So the first day I just walk them through the data. First, we think about what we're going to do, you know, what, what narrative do you want to say? Because that's super important. What do you What are you trying to? Um, what message are you trying to carry across with the two people you're choosing? And then we go through data collection. We go through shooting it on their cell phones. You don't need a Hollywood camera for this. We use consumer grade hardware. We use the last one I did. We use um, I don't know six year old laptops that had a you know a one thousand series in Nvidia in it, which is old at this point. You make a model specifically for that card, and then you run it. And then o- overnight, they come back in the morning, and then uh, we show them walking through compositing and how to composite it and make it look real. Mm. And then you render it out, and then you're finished. Now you know how to make deep Oh, Okay, so this is pre-rendered. This is this is uh, something that you can't do in real time. That is, that's more of the storytelling aspect. You can take that exact same model that you pre-rendered and then run it in real time. Oh, if, right. Because it's, oh, so it's, it's like once you've got the model, it can yeah you can once you got the model, track. you can run the inference in real time. Oh, so um, wow! I, you know, I know um, Scorsese. You know, did that um, movie with De Niro and Pacino. You know, yes, um, not that long ago. Right, Irishman. right, the Irishman. Right, that was it. You know, where they used a similar technology to this, but um, you know, obviously now it's getting um, you know a, a lot uh, a lot more accessible. But um, mm. uh, maybe just before we go to break, Carl, um, you know, what what was it that made you get into this space in the first place? You know, Brett, I stumbled into machine learning and deep fakes. I know a lot of people went to school for it and they are, you know, great math students. Mm. I was a 20-year VFX veteran. 
that was using deepfake to solve a problem of animation for 3D. And so we had 3D characters that were creating for digital influencers, but we needed to make a move, but we couldn't pay VFX budgets because it, it's a you know, startup. And so I created this process in order to make a data set out of 3D, put it in a 2D format, and then run inference through that with uh, GPUs and machine learning. And that's how deepfakes began for me. Right. And so yeah. what happens is now, if you have a 3D bus to say Thanos, instead of having you know, Josh Brolin sit around for hours and hours and make all these facial shapes and so forth, in about half an hour, you can take Josh Brolin's, you interview him, you take all the data from Thanos, and then you can now generate Thanos for 80% cheaper than over yeah. traditional. And if you have the voice print, you can, you can actually get him to say new dialogue as well. 1,000%. So we're going to start yeah. to see old uh, dead actors. I'm supposing uh, Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. We're going to uh, exhume these these poor dead actors. We're not going to let them rest. We're going to put them back to work. Thank you very as, much. As uh, kind of digital <laughs> labor, and they're going to work in perpetuity to generate entertainment for us. What, what a wonderful world we're in! <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Well, that's a whole other conversation about you know allowing for your rights to be used. Yeah, uh, yeah it's interesting. You know, Robin Williams wrote this into his will. I don't think it really probably means anything today because his estate has control. If his estate decides to use his digital image, then they probably can. But, um, but uh, you know, he, I mean, the fact was, you know, he was thinking about that way back then, you know. Um, so pretty pretty interesting. But, well, I mean, I mean, imagine you have all your causes, um, your your scholarship foundations, your charities you give to, that when you pass, all that money goes away. But yeah. does it have to is the question. And I don't think anyone's yeah. really asked that yet. Oh, that's interesting. So you could perpetually fund uh, a, a charitable organization with your likeness. That's correct. Your famous yeah. liberty. That, that's actually yeah. that, that's doing good, doing good after you're dead. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah it makes sense. All right. Well, listen, okay. let's take a quick break. <laughs> okay. Listening to the futurists, we're going to uh, take a quick break, and we'll be right back with uh, Carl Bogan as we talk about the future of deep fakes and uh, real-time uh, image manipulation. You're listening to the futurists. We'll be right back. Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support the Futurist Podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the Fintech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network, and Next Gen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. Welcome back to The Futurists. I'm Rob Tursik, and my co-host is Brett King. And this week, we're talking to Carl Bogan. Carl Bogan started out in the visual effects or video effects business and stumbled into machine learning and deep fakes as a way to generate characters or improve the animation process uh, much more cost-effectively. And Carl's been sharing with us some of the implications of that work uh, of deep fakes. But Carl, you have a second career, if you will, or a second uh, kind of offshoot of your activity, which is more creative. It's in a way, it's like your artistic expression. 
Uh, and that's a website for the folks who are listening called Mr. Giraffe. And um, it's spelled Mr. with a Y. Um, Mr. Giraffe is uh, is where you do art mashups. Tell us a little bit about these, these mm. mashups. Sure. Um, so when I first started seeing deep fakes, I didn't see anything that reflected anything that I could connect with. Nothing that I really thought was, that really touched me deeply. Mm-hmm. And so I sought out the opportunity to tell stories that I wanted to tell for pop culture, essentially, or a large swath that was that was left out. So, you know, who were some of the biggest names at the time that was going to be Will Smith and Cardi B. Mm-hmm. And so I found an interview of um, Cardi B sitting down talking to Kimmel, I believe it was. Um, and then I noticed that she was wearing the exact same or very, very close to same dress that Will Smith wore in Wild Wild West when he was cosplaying as a woman in order to get away from the big spider guy. And so I figured I'd mash them up. Um, not really knowing where it was going to go. I mean, Mr. Giraffe started as sort of a, a scratch paper for when I was learning how to do it on the characters. Right. But I found it so fascinating, interesting. Um, when other things were sort of processing out work on this in the meantime. So when I posted it for the first time, I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. I asked people at the company, oh, I think it's this has does it have any value? And they're like, oh, I don't really know. I don't. I don't know. It's a. It's all right. Twenty four hours later, Will Smith had reposted it. Cardi B had reposted it. I had, you know, thousands of new fans. I was inundated with emails, oh, wow. emails and DMs. Um, I really just couldn't believe it. And since then, I just haven't been able to stop. Oh, that's really fun. Now, yeah. how did they respond? How did how did Will Smith and Cardi B respond? Uh, you know, because just for the people who are listening, uh, the 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 mashup we're talking about is um, a late night TV show host interviewing Cardi B about her nickname, uh, which I guess it turns out was Bacardi, and that's that was that was the origin. At least that's the story she tells. But halfway through that clip, she turns into Will Smith in a dress, and it's really uncanny. I like to use the term uncanny value. It's deeply weird because Will Smith is. Basically speaking with Cardi B's voice, but it's clearly Will Smith, but it's kind of like a blend of the two. I mean, it's very artfully done. Um, it's it's a little bit disorienting because you're like, wait, what is this? Is it is it Will Smith doing you know that that part blew my mind? So uh, it's certainly worth checking it out. You'll find it on the Mr. Giraffe website. How did they respond? How did Will Smith feel about showing up in that video? Uh, Will Smith loved it. Um, <laughs> Great. In in the comments, he went so far as to say, I don't know who did this, but whoever they are, they're hired. Um, but since it was my very first um, deep fake posting, I wasn't really, uh, wasn't very good at protecting. It was me. So there were other people who were creating pages, trying to take credit for it. I mean, the internet works oh. very, very, very quickly, especially yeah. the parts that aren't so great. Um, and so I never was able to get in touch with um, with Will Smith, but it, I believe it does. I believe it still holds the third most watched video on all of Will Smith's Instagram. Mm. Wow, that's cool. That's all right. And you've done. And what other, have you got against them? Steve Harvey? Yeah, Steve. <laughs> Looking at you. Oh page. yes, I love <laughs> Steve Harvey. Um, I actually met with Steve af- after the first one. I think it was May 2020, and um, I met with Steve Harvey's team. Because they loved it, and ah, cool. we were talking about uh, developing a series and so on and so forth. Uh, but that wasn't the direction I was headed in at the time. So I, I, yeah, fair enough. So some interesting uh, stuff. What do you think the application of of this kind of mashup might be? It seems like a new kind of. Um, I mean, it's great for social media, right? So it's a great promotional mm-hmm. thing. 
But then again, some of these actors and performers, it's not really their message or their, it's not really on brand for them, right? So it's funny because it's so incongruous. Is there any artist that you think would adopt this and make that part of their persona? Do you see that as a, like a new kind of uh, social media personality type, a synthetic actor? Absolutely. So part of the quest has been to get as many reposts as I can. And that's tricky because if you look at someone like The Rock, you know, I would do a deep dive and I'd look at their page and say, how seriously do they take their themselves? How seriously do they take their social media? And you quickly realize there is a pretty deep comparison between the ones who reposted it and the ones who didn't. And you can tell just by looking at how seriously they take their feed. Yeah. And so some people treat it like a business and some people treat it like an extension of themselves. And so I tend to move towards or work with the latter mm. because, uh, you know, you know, The Rock, God bless him, he's never going to repost anything with him on Mariah Carey singing Heartbreaker, which is another one that I did. <laughs> but, you know, you have to experiment. You know, you're going through the process. And Does know, anyone ever send you like a cease and desist or a takedown notice? Does anyone object? I, ha- I have yet to get a cease and desist. And oh, I think wow. That's okay. So they're delighted. The they're... of Mr. Giraffe is to make fun, but don't be mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like non-destructive parody. I get it. That's and, correct. And I, I mean, honestly, it's actually kind of cool because people watch it and they laugh and they get a kick out of it. So it's an opportunity for that celebrity to show that they they can lighten up and not take. Yeah, I, I, it's actually got it got me thinking as you were talking about all this stuff about you know where can we trace deep fakes back to? And you know what I think is probably the start of sort of us thinking about this was that uh, Michael Jackson video. The, the black and white, you know, um, oh, with the, sure. the face morphology stuff where the faces yeah. were, were morphing. Now, the voice was matched to that. And that was obviously just done with a whole lot of very laborious filming and work and so forth. But yeah, rotoscoping, hand by frame, frame by yeah, frame. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, and, and, but um, now we're thinking back, it sort of said that, that could have, you know, that could be you know, part of sort of the birth of, of this stuff. and it, Or even uh, the depiction in Running Man. Remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger's face was put on the other body and stuff? You know, we've been thinking about doing this stuff for a long time. Pretty interesting. Absolutely. And now yeah, it's, it's here. funny how um, yeah. the technology that we see, you know, years go by, it's almost like we're on a quest to create our ideas that we see in front of us. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there is an argument, and we've had that argument presented on the show numerous times, that... Um, you know, science fiction can be a template for a lot of technological developments, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we, like we bring the, a lot of science the, fiction authors on the show yeah. for that reason, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're the ones, I mean, every person we talk to is inspired by some sci-fi experience, whether it's a movie or a book. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, that's, and that's not just true for this show. I mean, if you talk to anyone that's involved in, say, space uh, or aerospace, they're all science fiction fans, right? They were inspired to do that by sci-fi. So sometimes we'll bring the authors on the show and ask them a little bit about that. Uh, It's an interesting thing because they don't really wear that responsibility. Uh, That's not something they really want to take credit for, not all of them. Like, they don't want to be known as the guy who invented the, you know, telecommunications satellite or whatever. Um, But there uh, there is that element, though, that people are really inspired by the stories they read. So you're right, like right. We've been p- playing with the idea of swapping faces in movies for decades, but yeah, now it's quite yeah. possible to do. Um, now I imagine that the Screen Actors Guild is aware of this technology, and I would imagine that they're pretty concerned. And for the folks who don't remember, this fall we had a, you know kind of a big showdown here in Los Angeles 
between the motion picture companies and the Screen Actors Guild. The well, actors this are, was at the heart of, of, of this. Debate. Yeah, they're worried about being replaced by an AI. Um, Carl, how likely do you think that is? I mean, do you, do you think we can get to a point where we don't even need human actors? You know, I think we will get to a point where we don't need human actors, but I will say that there's something intangible that we're not aware of yet that makes humans human on screen. What are the limitations so, of the deep fakes? Like, what what are they today? Emotional range? Are they un, are they not be able to be unpredictable or spontaneous? You know, right now, deep fakes are limited to the actor piloting them. Mm-hmm. And so, right. right now, I don't believe there's any limitations as far as wearing someone else's face, so long as you have collected the right amount of data. Uh, which is why, when I'm taking data sets, I add, instead of having them make faces. Or give me your scared face, which is not your real scared face. You know, the emotions don't line up because humans are far more complex. So I ask instead questions about, you know, tell me about the, the very first date you went on. I mean, that one question alone is full mm. of like rich emotions and facial expressions and, you know, like muscles reacting in ways that you can't get asking people to make faces. Right. And so sometimes I ask really sad questions. And, 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 and you're you recording cry. this with a camera or are you recording this with is motion capture? Like what are you? you can, it's very simple, Robert. You can use a cell phone. You can use a DSLR. You can use a Reddit. It's really unimportant, generally speaking, because at the end of the day, you're taking the pixels and you're turning those pixels into numbers. And so... Sure, you can use, you know, you don't want to use necessarily like a, you know, a a GoPro, but you could if you wanted to, if you were in a pinch. And mm-hmm. I don't think it would, you know, really matter so much. So interesting. Yeah. No, no my to, iPhone has three cameras on it. As you can into the process. This iPhone has three cameras on it because it's it's designed to capture space, dimension, you know, facial geometry for face recognition and so forth. Are you able to capture that and use that in a deep fake? Is that part of the data set? I'm going to tell you something about iPhones. They look great. It's one of my favorite things to use when I'm recording data. Wow. Oftentimes, if I'm flying across the country to go take someone's data data set, I bring a a nicer DSLR. But I'll use pickups with an iPhone. Um, Something about the way they interpret their images is just really, really beautiful and natural. Hmm. Interesting. You notice that when you use the face recognition to unlock the phone, that under a variety of circumstances, you can be wearing a hat, sunglasses, regular glasses, motorcycle goggles, a mask, and it still recognizes your facial geometry. And I think that's kind of astounding. You know, during the pandemic, it didn't work with a mask on. And then after a couple mm-hmm. of months, they figured it out. And then suddenly mm-hmm. it did work with a mask on. All right, let's let's yeah, think about still some is. You're still getting some false positives for... Um, you know, African-American skin types and Asian skin types and things, you know, they, they there is some problems with their models primarily because it's been trained on Training white data. Californian faces, right? So That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's the perennial problem with all AI is the, the flaws in the data set. How big are your data models? Like how big are these things to capture when you capture them? Are they lightweight or are they gigantic? They're pretty lightweight, I think, um, as far as images or actual like drive size. Well, well, the the stuff that you capture, and then when you turn it into um, when you when, once you create the model, both I'm interested in both. Sure. So I take about thirty minutes of footage. I boil that down to about fifteen thousand images at a thirty frame base, 
uh, which ends up being, uh, I can't do the math on top of my head, but I mean, it's less than 30 minutes. And so mm-hmm. I, you, you take all the data, you go through it, you clean it up, you comb through, you know, any of the hands moving in front of the faces, um, you know, uh, you clean up, you know, um, if their head is, you know, too low, too high, you know, you can also, also use machine learning to sort through the images automatically and take out the stuff you don't want. Um, but it's still pretty manual process, but I would say zero to one, I can create a data set in about an hour casually. It wow. It doesn't really take that long. And then, okay, then, so then you have is, it forever. This is like, you yeah. know, this is like professional grade uh, it, uh, technology, but it's certainly available at a consumer scale. Like people sure. can actually do this themselves. Okay, so let's talk about the future because, um, you know, Microsoft, interestingly, Microsoft has two things here, related related topics. They introduced a thing called Valley 3. Uh, Valley 3 is a voice clone, and it only needs three seconds of your voice to generate a very plausible voice clone of someone else. So this is quite scary because wow. there's three seconds of anybody's voice available anywhere. Um, but then the second thing is Microsoft also opened an election communications hub, and this is to alert uh, the community about election fraud and particularly deep fakes. So it's hmm. kind of weird. On the one hand, they're like the arms dealer. They're selling the technology. And on the other hand, they're trying to alarm people oh, and make yeah. them aware. But maybe that's promotional. Maybe, maybe the two drive each other. What do you think is going to happen this year in the election as we gear up for the 2024? It's already contentious. There's already crazy claims on both sides. Uh, people are slinging mud at each other. What do you think is going to happen around the time of the primaries in just a couple of months? Specifically on the deep fake front, yeah. You know, I, Robert, I really tried not to be too negative. Um, because there's enough of that going around, but I will say I'm not overly optimistic. Um, I see a lot of misinformation, um, even from outside of the country. I would argue that most people, when they wake up, they're good, but also a lot of people have financial motivations. I mean, hell, even if I got a call from the the RNC or the DNC tomorrow and said, here's $13 million, we need you to have this person say this person, I'd have to think long and hard about it. And so, you know, I don't know specifically what's going to happen, but my guess is there is going to be several clips that will make it sort of out of the pen mm-hmm. that will then have to be walked back by so on and so forth. And that yeah. will really yeah, begin yeah. the misinformation. So I'm assuming that's going to happen, right? I think everybody assumes we're going to see a lot of deep fakes and some will be good, some will be junky, you know, but there'll be some very good ones. And you're right, it'll create a problem for that particular politician who has to like, distance that themselves from that image, whatever thing it was saying. But but they can, I mean, politicians will be able to claim anything that, that, that isn't, that isn't squeaky clean. They'll be able to claim it's fake. This is exactly right, Brett. That's exactly yeah, where I was heading yeah. is that you're going to see the very next pivot will be to say, Oh, that's a fake, right? I didn't do that. I didn't actually say it. And in a way Trump does this already. Right. I mean, he's like, Oh, that's fake news. And so what ends up happening is people get jaded and cynical, like voters get jaded and cynical and they sort of respond. As you hear people say today, I don't trust any politicians. They're all liars. Both parties are the same. Whether or not that's true, that's what people tend to say, right? So people just get exposed, overexposed to this stuff and they get Mm -hmm. kind of overwhelmed. They don't want to do the work to sort it out. And so I think what it ends up doing, in my guess, is we're going to massively scale confirmation bias in the sense that you'll believe what you want to believe, whatever conforms with your existing bias, you're going to see those videos and be like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, that right yeah, there. Yeah. Someone else will say, no, that's fake, that's not true. And you'll be like, no, and so we'll have this like widening split um, in the United States in particular, but other democracies as well, 
uh, you're going to see a widening split between people who just basically are in their separate camps and they just look for any available evidence, whether it's true or fake, that reinforces their viewpoint. Call me, call me cynical, Rob, but you know it, it appears now like there's a very clear intent to create that environment where people yeah. are chronically divided. And I believe it's because of these big philosophical issues we'll be facing over the next 20 to 30 years that... I, you know, the, the powers that be realize they don't have the ability to fix these problems. So rather than take the blame for the fact that there are these big issues, AI, climate change, et cetera, well, let's get people divided and they'll fight amongst themselves and blame each other for the problems. You know, call me cynical, but. No, I think you're right. Look, my, uh, you know, I'll jump out there because uh, Carl ain't going to say it because he's positive, but, you know, the Republican Party can't win an election, a national election based on demographics. So they need yeah. other ways to win an election. And one way they do that is they get people riled up about stuff that just isn't true. I mean, they generate fake issues. You see this in Congress all the time. They're, they're doing phony yeah, investigations and, and phony yeah, exactly. in, in, impeachment process and stuff. And it's like cosplay version of democracy. And so, you know, first of all, I don't blame people for being jaded because you look at these clowns in Congress and you go, geez, these guys aren't really serious about legislating. Um, all right. So there, that's our opinion on the thing. We're not really letting Carl get a word in edgewise. Carl, you see, we can do the show without you. You're just like, <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm, coming, I'm, I'm listening. I'm taking it in. I love hearing the opinions of others. It helps shape my own. Give us a view um, of where this goes, though. Give us a picture of the Well, the take us like take us 20 10, years. 20 years in the future. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. 10, 20 years in the future. Um, it, it's, it will be a lot of cat and mouse, sort of like how viruses were created. Um, you know, you have your antivirus and someone makes a new virus. Someone has to update their de their definition or the glossary of definitions of the virus. And then, you know, not, people are harmed by the first initial virus. Then they update it again. Then someone makes a new virus and it just keeps going back and forth, back and forth until someone creates a better mousetrap. Sort of like how Spotify, I guess I'll give them the credit, um, getting rid of pirating. When there's an easier solution for people to have to go with, they will not do the wrong thing. And so yeah. also as you know, consumer hardware gets cheaper and faster, some I mean it's getting even easier to make deep fakes every single day. Um, yeah. even from your even from your cell phone. They're not as convincing, but give it time. Um and um, you know, I think it it will be more harm than good, but the entertainment that we'll get out of it will be top tier. <laughs> so, and people are going to make good entertainment. That's for sure, too. Uh, one thing I was thinking is uh, on the politics side is you can imagine politicians having kind of like a personality lab. Take someone who uh, a, a, a politician with a kind of a bad personality. And I'm going to pick on Ron DeSantis. Just DeSantis. That's, that's who I was thinking. Well, of, he's, yeah. he's been called out for it so much. Right. So uh, so Ron DeSantis is, you know, he. He kind of comes across. Can you give him a personality transfer? Really guy, exactly. So imagine if quietly in the background, totally confidentially, he had a team that was developing a range of deep fakes, different personalities, and they could test these on 5,000 people at a time in social media and start to gauge the interest and engagement level and start to go like, hey, look. Yeah, that's, I mean, because theoretically, because you yourself, you know, yeah. and that's actually not a very bad idea. You you can honestly do that now. Um, I know like uh, actors, you know, they get hurt, they have some surgery and they're out of the public eye and people are like, oh, what's going on? Where have they been? You can soften that blow 
and completely get rid of it if you just have a body double. If I were famous, I'd have a body double follow me around all the time. And when I need them to go to Prague to shoot a commercial or to go somewhere else, I would just send them while I lay in bed, eat ice cream or do whatever else I feel like doing, go on vacation. The cycle doesn't have to stop just because you're not there anymore. So mm-hmm. that's possible today. And I mean, so in a way, that's how we use social media, right? If you think of what yeah. social media is for a lot of people, they're trying on different personalities and they're, they're sort of pretending to be like, you know, influencers or pretending to be global travelers or people who are really into food or fashion or something. And they're gauging public response to that. And then that might yeah. be in a, a direction they evolve more into. Uh, so, so in a weird way, this uh, by networking, uh, deep fakes and and synthetic reality, what we're really doing is starting to shape reality. You know, we're using the network as a way to get the signal from other people about what they want, uh, what they're attracted to, what gets them excited or engaged, and then we'll go make more of that and eventually become that thing in the real world. I know that sounds crazy. It, I, I mean, I it, that's it, actually it's, how it's working, right? I mean, if you think about this, you know, think about the possibilities, you know, if you think about VR worlds, right? And if VR worlds get good enough that you have an approximation of of our reality in terms of our face and so forth, actors could allow you to play them in the VR. You could buy an avatar of Brad Pitt and- Drive it around with, yeah. You can do that Call of Duty. But you know, actually, I was going to say, Brad, we don't even need VR. Like we're kind of doing that now. It's social media with, you know, filters. If you think like Snapchat, you know, the the filters that you can put on your face and they're very simple AR. It's getting close to that stuff. There's a whole generation growing up with it. You know, the big scary thing here is uh, increasingly people are turning to services like TikTok to get their news. Right. So anybody yeah. who's under 30, TikTok is a primary source of news, which is a little weird for people our age because you're like, wait, that's not news. It's just a bunch of generated crap. But that's the point. That's their version of news. And um, they also use it as a search engine, which is like, wait, what? And for health advice. And so you're like, Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're going to see channels like that flooded with this stuff. And mm-hmm. it's a very cheap yeah. way. to. It's like a scratch test. You can just, you know, crank out dozens and dozens of these models and test them out and see what which ones respond or which ones test the best. And then double down on that. So it's like a kind of multivariant testing uh, econ- uh, environment. And you can just test X number of iterations of a concept. But any kind of conceptual person doesn't have to be a politician, could also be a celebrity, could be a musician and so forth. Uh, so we're going to be able to try out personas. The and, new spin. And then the real world will start to conform to that synthetic version. I, I mean, I think this is uh. what's happening now i don't even know if that's so i know brett we want to go futuristic but i'm kind of like no i get it i get it no yeah i mean we don't have to go too far in the future do we i mean i would even say that's how you end up with super celebrities that are that are created because of fun data or like you're able to try what was that movie that where dustin hoffman created this female computer character or whatever and she became this movie star and rock star simone Simone. Yeah, Simone. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's what we're talking about. That's what I, I think thing. it is. I think we're here, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And, yes. and the funny thing is, All everybody right. thinks that like VR is something that's happening out there in the future, or the metaverse is going to happen in a few years. And it's like, dude, it's going on right now on TikTok. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's people all like happening. Carl are it's, making it possible. Yeah. Right? They're making yeah. it possible for us to bend reality. Well, Carl, what a fun conversation to have with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, for the folks who are listening, you should check out Carl's website. Uh, you can search carlbogan.com, but also go to mrgiraffe.com. And that's Mr. with a Y. So M-Y-S-T-E-R, giraffe.com. Carl, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Great fun talking to you today. 
Um, so folks, we are, um, we are really thrilled with the progress of the show. Uh, we love the audience response that we're getting. People are digging the concepts and the guests. That's fun for us. Uh, we welcome comments and questions. Yeah, leave us a review you. if yeah. you can, you know, Let give us, it, you know, know, post on social, all that stuff helps us. And we're always interested in hearing people's suggestions for different, uh, different kinds of futurists to bring on the show and talk to them about how they're shaping the future. So we welcome that as well. Um, to wrap up this week, let me give a shout out to Kevin Hershon, who's been patiently helping us as our engineer, audio editor, and making the show sound great for the whole year. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Elizabeth Severance, our producer, and the whole crew at Provoke Media. You make the show possible. So that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with another Futurist. And until then, we will see, we'll see you, you in the future. In the future. Well, that's it for The Futurists this week. If you like the show, we sure hope you did. Please subscribe and share it with the people in your community. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at, at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future. <laughs>